fathers and sons. With a sermon topic like this, I need to make it real simple for me. It's complicated. (laughs) Those of you who are linear thinkers, I'll give it to you how I hope it goes in this message. I'm going to do some Bible background and theology, a little Christian tradition before I get to this particular passage, kind of set it up. And then I'm going to do some personal revealing, become vulnerable, hopefully giving you an opportunity to become vulnerable in your relationships. And then there's going to be some practical applications, some take-homes, okay? So fathers and sons, it's complicated. It's complicated because we know that God is beyond gender, right? There's all kinds of images and metaphors for God in the Bible and in Christian tradition. And yet, if you read the Bible and Christian tradition, you're going to have to deal with the image of Father. In the New Testament alone, when Jesus talks about God, 150 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls God Father. And once or twice, he even says, Abba, Daddy. Paul, in his letters to the early churches, 40 times calls God Father. Twice, Paul calls God Abba, Daddy. If you read all of those Old Testament names and they have Ab in them, it means Father. So today, when we had our surprising summer Sunday school lesson about Abram, that's mighty Father, becomes Abraham, Father of a multitude. So, Father's all through there. What did we just do in the Lord's Prayer? How did we start that? Our Father. And when we say those ancient creeds of the church, we always begin with something like this, I believe in God the Father. So, you can't get away from this imagery. Again, I'm liberated, I went to seminary, I know all of those other concepts about God, but... You need to deal with this particular one. I think what the Bible and Christian tradition is trying to tell us is that God is relational. God is personal. God is not some concept. God is beyond gender, but God is very personal to each one of us. Fathers and sons. So when we come to fathers and sons, I need to introduce you to another biblical concept, and it's a fancy long word, I can't say it, primogenitor, and it means the eldest gets the most goodies, okay? That's my Aggie way of understanding it. So if, if you're the firstborn son, you get a double portion. That means you get two-thirds of the inheritance. I'm sorry for the younger people, but you have to scrap amongst yourselves. That's just the way it is in the Bible, okay? Except it's complicated because in their stories, we have Isaac who had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and the eldest son is Esau, And Isaac loved that son, but his wife Rachel loved the younger son, and so she pulls a switcheroo. (laughs) Y'all know the story? And so when Isaac goes to give the family blessing, who gets the family blessing? Not the elder son, not Esau, but Jacob, the younger son. So it's complicated. It's not fair, all right? Sometimes things get switched around. And there was this guy, Joseph. We did that at Vacation Bible School. How many sons were there? Twelve? Something like that. And he was like 11th of the 12. Am I remembering this correctly? And he gets the family blessing. It's not fair. It's not right. It's complicated. In your family, did you get the family blessing? 
Were you the eldest or were you one of those ones? Oh, some of y'all are smiling. Some of you took the place of the one that was supposed to get it. Isn't this great? Primogenitor, it sets up this story here that we have about fathers and sons. Here's the deal. Samuel is a prophet. He's a seer, but he doesn't see so well. He doesn't see God's purposes at work very clearly. What is he doing? He's stuck in grief. The first king that he anointed, Saul, is a big disappointment to him. And he's pouting. Samuel is pouting. And God has to kickstart him and say, get over your grief. I'm going to raise up another king. I want you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and do that. And so he's reluctant to do it even when God punches him like that because he's afraid of Saul, the first king that he anointed, because Saul might just get mad. Okay? Political intrigue here, rising up another king while there's still a sitting king. But he goes. And he goes to Jesse's house. And Jesse starts doing the lineup. Can you see all of the seven sons up here? Can you see them here? And so it's like a beauty contest. All right? And so it is. And so the first son, the one who should get the blessing, Eliab comes out. Is this the one? Nope. Should be Eliab. You know, did you hear the ab in his name? Eliab, my God is a father, is what his name means. Aren't you glad you came to worship today? Yeah? Doing a little Hebrew with you? And so the next son, Abinadab, do you hear the ab in his name? Father of liberality. I can't say that word either. Liberality. <laughs> Does that sound like a permissive father? I don't know, but uh, uh, that was his name. Thank you, thank you. So, anyhow, he's not it either. Third son, Shama, comes out. Not it either. Why? Because how does God look? God doesn't look on the outside, the appearance. God looks on the heart, the leb. It's the essence of who you are. Your real character beyond all of the externals. That's what God looks on. Their sons four through seven, they're not even named. Is that how you felt in your family? <laughs> really? I mean, did your parents just start calling out names or numbers? I mean, they just, you know, here, you, you there, come. <laughs> did, did you get lost in the crowd in your family? I mean, wouldn't you love to be number four through seven down here in the lineup? Nope, they don't cut the mustard either. Nope, 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 is what Samuel says. The Lord hasn't led them to be the next king either. Any more sons out there? <laughs> Jesse said, yeah, we have one more son, the youngest. He's not even named in the passage here. Do you notice this? But he is out tending sheep. Now, I know many of you have as your favorite passage of Scripture the 23rd Psalm. Am I right? If there's one portion of Scripture you may have memorized, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I hate to tell you this, but shepherd, that was not a high-order job, all right? I love what Garrison Keillor says about shepherds when he tells this story. He said, shepherds are like parking lot attendants, all right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a necessary role. We're glad that they're there, right? But... but you know, when our high school and college graduates were with us this past month and they gave their little testimonies and stuff, not one of them said, someday I hope I can be a parking lot attendant. Am I right? Okay, so this is, I don't want to demean parking lot attendants or shepherds, but anyhow, so we have one more son, 
He's out tending sheep. Bring him. And when he comes in, Samuel says, he's the one. And he anoints him. Talk about underdog. Number eight gets the family blessing, gets the blessing to be the next king of Israel. And his name is David. Finally, we learn his name in the very last part of this passage. David. King David, he becomes the prime example of what a good king should be. But I'm here to tell you, it's complicated. Do you know the story about King David? So the very next incident in David's life, he's a little boy. He goes and meets this giant named Goliath. You remember what he does? Takes a little pebble and his slingshot. And slingshots were not like this. Slingshots were like this. And he punts that pebble right between his eyes. Dead eye. Pow! Goliath falls. David is a hero. <laughs> David becomes a wonderful military leader, right? But he's not only a man of action and power that gets other men to follow him, he has his other side. He plays music. He plays the guitar, right? It's, smile, people. It's a, it's, it's a long time ago. So he plays a stringed instrument, and he writes poetry and music and stuff. He, he's wonderful. And he's, he, he's a politician. He gets... Um, the northern and southern kingdoms put together and he makes the capital Jerusalem. And, and it's complicated because this King David also sees another man's wife and says, I gotta have her. And he commits adultery and he covers it up and he has that woman's husband killed on the front lines of a battle. It's like House of Cards, isn't it? He's, huh? <laughs> political intrigue and he's trying to make it all, huh? pulling the levers behind the scenes. And, and you know what David is called in the Bible? A man after God's own heart. It's complicated. Isn't this who we are? None of us is perfect. None of us is totally centered. We're, remember what I keep telling you over and over. As a person and as a family at our best, we only operate at about 70%. Here's a big takeaway. We need to treat ourselves and others with a lot of grace and forgiveness on this Father's Day. Can I get an amen here? Huh? Huh? Here's another takeaway. Read these Bible stories and you will find yourself in them with a lot of vulnerable, broken, wonderful people just like you with great things to offer and just huge holes in you. Yes? So I've given you two takeaways already. Grace and forgiveness. Read the Bible stories and find yourself in them. And when I get to this point, then I need to tell you about my dad. So I've been teaching the Family Foundations Sunday School class in the month of May. And we did the book, The Five Love Languages. And I found out by taking that test in the back of the book that I have two primary love languages. My primary love languages are words of affirmation and physical touch. Guess what? My dad never learned those languages. <laughs> he was a part of the greatest generation. He was rushed through Texas A&M to get his degree in 1943 so that they could send him to the front lines of World War II where Dad was a navigator on one of those B-17 bombers with the 8th Air Force flying out of England. 
I longed for affirmation. If you, want to, if you want to get on my good side, tell me how well I'm doing, okay? I longed for physical touch. I mean, my, a moment of tenderness with my dad was a bone-crushing handshake, you know. <laughs> dad died 15 years ago, January 20th, 2000. I did my dad's funeral. If you're ever given that opportunity, check the box that says no, okay? Trust me on this. My mom asked me, and I did it because my mom asked me, and it was a last gift to my mom and to my dad. But when I got up there to read those opening words, words I've said hundreds of times, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die. When I got up there, no words came out. I couldn't do it. I just cried. I did get through it finally. I'm still dealing with my dad. There's this family systems guy named Doug Hester who's been working with me. And he invited me to have some healing in my relationship with my father by visiting my father's grave. It's in the Bethlehem Cemetery in Whitney, Texas. So on the first Saturday in May this year, I was up there at 7.30 in the morning. And I found my dad's grave without too much trouble. I really thought I was going to be overwhelmed. I really thought I was just going to break down in tears. I cried a little, but, but here's basically what happened. I'm not going to tell you everything. I found peace talking to my dad there in a tactile kind of way. So some of you who have some issues with your fathers or another family member or somebody else, I'm asking you maybe to visit their grave. I had some reconciliation, some healing with my dad. And here's what I came to. My dad did the best that he could with what he had. Huh? He, he, he wasn't equipped to do the words of affirmation and the tender touch. Um, just wasn't. So I let that go. I forgave him. And I was able to bless my dad for who he was and the good gifts that he did share with me. And <laughs> my dad was a man of faith. I mean, we were in Sunday school and, and worship uh, just all the time. And my dad was one who taught me about hard work. He grew up on a farm. And I, I mean, I know the value of, of daylight hours. And uh, my dad taught me about carpentry. And I'm good with my hands and plumbing. And, and I can pour concrete and, and finish it out. And, and somebody would, I, taught me to drive a standard transmission and pulling a truck and trailer. And I can back a trailer into a loading dock. And, and, and a storyteller. You know how I love to tell stories? I got that from my dad. And before dad died, he got to see our sons. And I'll always remember his tenderness with his grandsons, our sons. And I'm so glad to know that that is a part of, of his life. If you're having some issues with somebody who's died, I invite you to visit their grave and see what God holds for you there. We need to treat one another with a lot of grace and forgiveness. And on this Father's Day, I am a father. I have two grown sons. And one of the deepest wounds I have at this part of my life is that my sons don't practice the Christian faith that they grew up with. Oh, they're moral people, don't get me wrong. And they're, they're serving people. <laughs> In fact, they may be closer to Christ than I am. I, they live just above the poverty line. <laughs> you know, the, 
They, they really practice the values that we taught them. They're not motivated by money or success. They're very giving kinds of people, very uh, honest people. I'll never forget Joel. I think he was a junior at A&M. We went to have lunch with him. I think it was in the fall, and I can't remember the exact restaurant. It was an Asian restaurant. I can't remember. It was Korean, Chinese. I don't remember. Thai, I don't remember. But I remember sitting there at the table, and oftentimes we would say grace. We would hold hands. And Joel didn't. This meal. They're in College Station. And I said, what's, what's going on, son? And he said, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Oh, what are you? I lean more towards Buddhism and Zen and, and uh, oh, tell me how you practice that. And he did. I thought I was really good. I wasn't overreactive. Do you get that? I was coaching that out of him. And I said, uh, why couldn't you tell me before now? He said, I was afraid. What, what were you afraid of? He said, I was afraid you wouldn't love me anymore. some parents out here, huh? What I said to Joel was, son, I can't think of anything that you would ever do that would make me stop loving you. Am I right, parents? Am I right? If I love you that much, how much more does God love you? Today, we have a very good relationship. We're about to go to lunch here in about 30 minutes. Stay connected with Joel. He gives me coupon books on Father's Day. Wonderful gifts that say, uh, good for one meal out, or good for one hike, or good for one special thing that you want to do, Dad. Here's another thing, see? Fathers and sons. It's complicated. Younger son Matthew, our starving artist. (laughs) Several weeks ago, I spent three and a half hours driving so I could spend about 40 minutes talking face-to-face with Matthew. And with Matthew, I told him this. I'm proud of you. You don't have to do anything more to please me. You're just fine, just the way you are. And the thing is, as I reflected, as I journaled about it later, I was telling Matt the things I wish my dad had told me. (laughs) And today it's very hard to stay close to Matt. He needs his distance. Do do any of you parents know about this? How parents, uh, how your kids need to push off from you and, and the more that you try to chase after them or rescue them or intervene in their lives, the further away they run? Am I right? Yeah. So we text this day, <laughs> these days. This is how we communicate. Uh, phone calls, he won't answer. You know, just, but texting, yeah. Trying to stay connected with our sons. Here's the thing. Kathy and I pray for our boys just all the time because I have to believe in this grace and forgiveness stuff. And the God of their baptism and the God of their confirmation, the God of all creation, the God who is Father of us all, still has claims on them and speaks to them by day and by night, far beyond anything that I can do or anything that I've done to drive them away. I have to believe that. Here's another takeaway for you. Whatever your relationship is with any of those family members, is to hold them 
in prayer. I told you it's complicated. (laughs) The good news in this passage is, is that how does God look at things? How does God look at each one of us? God doesn't look at the outside, the exterior. God doesn't look as human beings look. God looks on the leb, on the heart, upon that person who they really are. And God's claim never stops. Here's the challenge for me, maybe for you, is to look at one another, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, all those other relationships, like God looks at us. That's the message for today. It's complicated, I know, but amen.